TED Audio Collective. Welcome to TED Health. This is your host, Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Today, we're going to hear from best-selling author Nora McInerney, whose talk about moving forward with grief is both heartbreaking and hilarious. We'll learn how she's navigated the gut-wrenching grief of losing a loved one and why there's no moving on from grief, only moving forward. Then stick around after the talk to discover the biological impacts of grief and why it puts us at higher risk for certain health conditions. We'll also cover some of the things you can do to help ease your own grief or the grief of someone that you know. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on fitness trends. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in active lifestyle, healthy eating, wearable tech, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas that you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals all in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. The best place to see stars is at home with Prime Video. Get everything included with Prime, like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, starring Donald Glover and Maya Erskine. Rent or buy hits like Mean Girls, starring Renee Rapp. Or add-on channels like Max for the HBO original Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David. You've never seen so many stars in one place. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership not required to rent or buy. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Support for this podcast comes from The Wonderful Company. If that name doesn't sound familiar to you, you probably know the pistachios that come from this company. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Get snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. I love the various wonderful pistachio flavors. So in addition to the original flavor, I'm particularly fond of the salt and vinegar. And I keep little packets of them in my car so that I can eat and get some protein on the run. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. So 2014 was a big year for me. Do you ever have that? Just like a big year, like a banner year. For me, it went like this. October 3rd, I lost my second pregnancy. And then October 8th, my dad died of cancer. And then on November 25th, my husband Aaron died after three years with stage four glioblastoma, which is just a fancy word for brain cancer. So I'm fun. (laughs) People love to invite me out uh, all the time. (laughs) Packed social life. Usually when I talk about This period in my life, the reaction I get is essentially, I can't, I can't imagine. But I do think you can. I think you can. And I think that you should because someday it's going to happen to you. Maybe not these specific losses in this specific order or at this speed. But like I said, I'm very fun. And the research that I have seen will stun you. Everyone you love has a 100% chance of dying. (laughs) And that's why you came to TED. (laughs) 
So since all of this loss happened, I've made it、um, a career to talk about death and loss, not just my own, because it's pretty easy to recap. But、um, the losses and tragedies that other people have experienced—it's a niche, I have to say. <laughs> it's a small niche, and I wish I made more money. But、um, I, I've written some very uplifting books. Host a very uplifting podcast. I started a little nonprofit. I'm just trying to do what I can to make more people comfortable with the uncomfortable. And grief is so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable, especially if it's someone else's grief. So a part of that work is this group that I started with my friend Mo, who is also a widow. We call it the Hot Young Widows Club. And it's real. We have membership cards and T-shirts. And when your person dies, your husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, literally don't care if you were married, your friends and your family are just going to sort of look around through friends of friends of friends of friends until they find someone who's gone through something similar, and then they'll push you towards each other so you can talk amongst yourselves and not get your sad on other people. <laughs> So that's what we do. It's just a series of small groups where men, women, gay, straight, married, partnered can talk about their dead person and say the things that the other people in their lives aren't ready or willing to hear yet. Huge range of conversations. Like my husband died two weeks ago. I can't stop thinking about sex. Is that normal? Yeah. What if it's one of the property brothers? Less normal, but I'll accept it. <laughs> Things like, look, when I'm out in public and I see old people holding hands, like couples who have clearly been together for decades, and then I look at them and I imagine like all of the things they've been through together—the good things, the bad things, the arguments they've had over who should take out the trash—I just find my heart filled with rage. And that example is personal to me. Most of the conversations that we have in the group can and will just stay amongst ourselves, but there are things that we talk about that the rest of the world, the world that is grief adjacent but not yet grief stricken, could really benefit from hearing. And if you can't tell, I'm only interested in/slash capable of unscientific studies. So what I did was go to the Hot Young Widows Club and say, "Hello, friends. Remember when your person died? They did.、Um, do you remember all the things people said to you? Oh, yeah." Um, which ones did you hate the most? I got there were a lot of comments, a lot of answers. People say a lot of things, but two rose to the top pretty quickly. Moving on. Now, since 2014, I will tell you, I have remarried a very handsome man named Matthew. We have four children in our blended family. We live in the suburbs of Minneapolis, Minnesota, USA. We have a rescue dog. <laughs> I drive a minivan. Like the kind where doors open, I don't even touch them. Like, like by any measure, life is good. I've also never said measure. I've never once said it that way. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I've never heard anyone else say it that way. But it looks like it should be said that way, and that's why the English language is trash. <laughs> so. So impressed with anyone who like speaks it in addition to a language that makes sense. So good job.、Um, but by any measure, by any measure, life is really, really good. But I haven't moved on. 
I haven't moved on, and I hate that phrase so much, and I understand why other people do, because what it says is that Aaron's life and death and love are just moments that I can leave behind me and that I probably should. And when I talk about Aaron, I slip so easily into the present tense, and I've always thought that made me weird. And then I notice that everybody does it. And it's not because we are in denial or because we're forgetful. It's because the people we love, who we've lost, are still so present for us. So when I say, oh, Aaron is, it's because Aaron still is. And it's not in the way that he was before, which was much better. And it's not in the way that churchy people tried to tell me that he would be. It's just that he's indelible. And so he's present for me. Here, he's present for me in the work that I do, in the child that we had together, in these three other children I'm raising who never met him, who shared none of his DNA, but who are only in my life because I had Aaron and because I lost Aaron. He's present in my marriage to Matthew because Aaron's life and love and death made me the person that Matthew wanted to marry. So I've not moved on from Aaron. I've moved forward with him. We spread Aaron's ashes in his favorite river in Minnesota, and when the bag was empty, because when you're cremated, you fit into a plastic bag, there were still ashes stuck to my fingers, and I could have just put my hands in the water and rinsed them, but instead, I licked my hands clean because I was so afraid of losing more than I had already lost, and I was so desperate to make sure that he would always be a part of me. But of course he would be, Because when you watch your person fill himself with poison for three years just so he can stay alive a little bit longer with you, that stays with you. When you watch him fade from the healthy person he was the night you met to nothing that stays with you. When you watch your son, who isn't even two years old yet, walk up to his father's bed on the last day of his life like he knows what's coming in a few hours and say, I love you, all done, bye-bye that stays with you. Just like when you fall in love, finally, like really fall in love with someone who gets you and sees you, and you even see, oh my God, I've been wrong this entire time. Love is not a contest or a reality show. It's so quiet. It's this invisible thread of calm that connects the two of us even when everything is chaos, when things are falling apart, even when he's gone. That stays with you. We used to do this thing because my hands are always freezing and he's so warm where I would take my ice-cold hands and shove them up his shirt, (laughs) press them against his hot bod. (laughs) And he hated it so much, but he loved me. And after he died, I laid in bed with Aaron and I put my hands underneath him. And I felt his warmth. And I can't even tell you if my hands were cold, but I can tell you that I knew it was the last time I would ever do that. And then that memory is always going to be sad, 
That memory will always hurt, even when I'm 600 years old and I'm just a hologram. <laughs> just like the memory of meeting him is always going to make me laugh. Grief doesn't happen in this vacuum; it happens alongside of and mixed in with all of these other emotions. So, I met Matthew, my current husband. Who doesn't love that title? <laughs> But it's so accurate. <laughs> I met Matthew, and there was this audible sigh of relief among the people who loved me. Like, it's over. <laughs> She did it. <laughs> She got a happy ending. We can all go home, and um, we did good. And that. Narrative is so appealing, even to me. And I thought maybe I'd gotten that too, but I didn't. I got another chapter, and it's such a good chapter. I love you, honey. It's such a good chapter. But especially at the beginning, it was like an alternate universe or one of those old choose-your-own-adventure books from the '80s, where there are two parallel plot lines. So I opened my heart to Matthew, and my brain was like, "Would you like to think about Aaron?" Like the past, the present, future. Like just get in there, and I did. And all of a sudden, those two plots were unfurling at once. And falling in love with Matthew really helped me realize the enormity of what I lost when Aaron died. And just as importantly, it helped me realize that my love for Aaron, and my grief for Aaron, and my love for Matthew, are not opposing forces. They're just strands to the same thread. They're the same stuff. I'm.、Um, what would my parents say? I'm not special.、Uh, they had four kids. They were like, frankly,、um, but I'm not. I'm not special. I know that. I'm fully aware that all day, every day, all around the world, terrible things are happening, all the time. Like I said, fun person, but. Like terrible things are happening. People are experiencing deeply formative and traumatic losses every day. And as part of my job, this weird podcast that I have, I sometimes talk to people about the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And sometimes that's the loss of someone they love. Sometimes days ago, or weeks ago, years ago, even decades ago. And these people that I interview. They haven't closed themselves around this loss and made it the center of their lives. They've lived. Their worlds have kept spinning. But they're talking to me, a total stranger, about the person they love who has died, because these are the experiences that mark us and make us just as much as the joyful ones, and just as permanently. Long after you get your last sympathy card or your last hot dish, like we don't look at the people around us experiencing life's joys and wonders and tell them to move on, do we? We don't like send a card that's like congratulations on your beautiful baby, and then five years later think like another birthday party, get over it. Like, <laughs> yeah, we get it. He's five. <laughs> wow. But grief is kind of one of those things, like falling in love or having a baby or watching The Wire on HBO, where 
You don't get it until you get it, until you do it. And once you do it, once it's your love or your baby, once it's your grief and your front row at the funeral, you get it. You understand what you're experiencing is not a moment in time, it's not a bone that will reset, but that you've been touched by something chronic, something incurable. It's not fatal, but sometimes grief feels like it could be. And if we can't prevent it in one another, what can we do? What can we do other than try to remind one another that some things can't be fixed and not all wounds are meant to heal. We need each other to remember, to help each other remember that grief is this multitasking emotion, that you can and will be sad and happy, you'll be grieving and able to love in the same year or week, the same breath. We need to remember that a grieving person is going to laugh again and smile again. If they're lucky, they'll even find love again. That yes, absolutely, they're going to move forward. But that doesn't mean that they've moved on. Thank you. Through conversations with investors and entrepreneurs, Unseen Upside by Cambridge Associates explores the human impact of investing. Season four focuses on exciting healthcare advancements, promising to improve outcomes and create resilient, patient-centric systems, blending technology and compassion. Meet the minds behind innovation shaping the future of medicine, from drug discovery to the role of AI. Uncover the Unseen Upside, available now. Hi, listeners. This is your host, Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. As Nora McInerney said, grief changes us. It changes us emotionally, socially, even spiritually. But what does grief do on a biological level? How does it affect our brains and our bodies? And what can that teach us about navigating grief for ourselves and in those around us? Grief is a kind of learning process for our brain. When someone you love dies, it takes time for your brain to understand the loss and adjust to a new reality. Our brains are wired to make predictions. So if our spouse or child leaves for work or school in the morning, our brains expect to see them later that day. It's this expectation that leads many people who've lost someone to experience a period where it's not uncommon for them to momentarily forget that their loved one has died. It takes a while for our brains to rewire to new expectations. So when we talk about processing grief, we're essentially talking about this learning process and the rewiring of the brain. And that process takes time. But that's just the effect grief has on our brains. A lot happens in our bodies when we experience grief as well. A study conducted at the Massachusetts General Hospital found that grieving after losing a loved one especially during the first few months, can lead to chronic stress. And that can cause a whole host of symptoms. Trouble sleeping, anxiety, aches and pains even, and it can put you at a higher risk for a heart attack or a stroke. So what can a person who's grieving do to alleviate stress before it becomes chronic? In Nora's book, The Hot Young Widows Club, she shares some pieces of advice. Number one, 
talk to someone beyond your immediate circle of friends and family, like a therapist or a faith leader, and let yourself open up about your emotions. Number two, keep a journal or diary to help process your emotions. According to Dr. Lisa Schulman, a professor of neurology at the University of Maryland, the simple process of journaling helps short-circuit the chronic stress that can happen after a traumatic event, like the loss of a loved one. Number three, Nora also reminds people who are grieving to take it slow. Let yourself rest. And above all, be kind to yourself. Grieving is a process. And if you know someone who's in the process of grieving, there's some basic things that you can do to be supportive. Try to be present. Resist the urge to give them space. Try listening more than you talk. Hold space for the grieving person in your life to open up about their emotions and let them speak without trying to fix anything. Be aware that discomfort is part of the grieving process, and sometimes that means for you, too. Losing someone you love can be devastating. But in Nora's talk, she mentioned something that anyone who's gone through grief knows very well. That the person you lost isn't actually gone. Your memory and experience of them always stays with you. And there's actually a biological truth to that. Neuroscientists have looked at the brains of people in loving, committed relationships and have found that these relationships actually physically alter the brain's neurons and proteins. So when a loved one dies, your brain may have to rewire during the grieving process, but it doesn't change completely. They leave a permanent physical record in our brains. So perhaps it's love, even more than grief, that really changes us. Thanks so much for listening today. This episode was produced by Transmitter Media with help from Mitchell Johnson and fact-checked by Vanessa Garcia-Woodworth. And special thanks to Grace Rubenstein, Anna Phelan, Sammy Case, Maria Lagis, and Colin Helms. I'm Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Stay well, and I'll talk to you next week.